last week I was in Quebec for a bit, and I'm thinking to myself, if I actually lived in Montreal, I would totally be on board with this team, like 100% again. But I just need <laughs> a couple of trips to Montreal and I'd go back there. Well, you need some poutine, and all of a sudden you're like, I'm back in, guys! You're right! PK sucks! I hate that guy! <laughs> I got you! I broke you! I knew it! It was only a matter of time. It's magic poutine, that's what does it. Welcome to episode 9 of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast, the podcast of two unqualified idiots rambling on sports topics they lightly know nothing about for an indeterminate timeline in a hastily thrown together format. This week, decoded to us from an enigma machine. My name is Carlos Alcazar, and with me as always is my co-host, Dave Turnbull. Yes, you made a reference that I get. You got that I, one. I appreciate the, the Enigma machine. You want to you share with the people what the Enigma machine was? So the Enigma machine was a coding machine used in World War II, right? So it was used by the Nazis. By the Germans, yes. And, and to send their messages, and it was when the uh, allies and the English broke that at Bletchley Circle, right? Was it Bletchley Circle or Bletchley Park? I think that's right, but I'm a little rusty on it. I th- it sounds right. There's a movie about it. It's a good movie. Yeah. With Benedict Cumberbatch, but I can't remember the name of it. We'll figure that out. Anyway, they they used that, and it really helped them. One of the reasons it helped them win the war. Yes. Big reasons. Yes. That's a little throwback to our history degrees. A little history major uh, thing. Can't be can't be internet references every week, people. I will uh, I will endeavor to bring back some more internet references uh, in subsequent weeks. But I thought we would go a throwback to the to the old degree that we share. This week on the program, we've got a number of different things we're going to talk about. Uh, We're done with the 2019 MLB preview, so we're going to move on to other fish. Part of it is going to be our quote-unquote main topic of the week is a little was a little bit nebulous this week, but we're, I think we're going to talk about a little bit going into the NHL playoffs because we are in Canada, and I believe if we didn't talk about the NHL at some point here, we would be excommunicated. We'd probably lose the podcast, let's be real. Yeah. No, Dave, Dave was born here and he would actually be deported. It doesn't matter. He, and, and I wasn't born here and I, I, I welcome deportation, would but they, even still. Would they deport me to Panama, though? They would deport me to Panama. You would go to your ancestral homeland, wherever that is. In, in keeping with the Canadian content, you know, the CRTC will come down on us hard if we don't do it. We will talk about the NHL a little bit in the main topic. But in addition to that, we are going to talk a little bit of, of, you know, football as well, because that's kind of our bread and butter here. We're going to talk about week six in the Alliance of American Football. Looking forward to the week seven games. I will slightly brag about the fact that if you'd listened to my gambling advice a little bit last time, you would have been fine. But also, we're going to talk about Johnny Menzel signing with the Alliance of American Football. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And then uh, we're going to talk about Mike Trout's Contract extension. Mike Trout wins the Angels Powerball Lottery. And then, last and uh, certainly not least, the last couple of items here, we're going to talk about Ichiro's uh, last game and retirement, and the NCAA tournament, because that's kind of a big deal here in March. And of course, pretentious cross-country running report with Dave Turnbull, in keeping with our other quota. In accordance with the prophecy. Settle down. The prophecy, the prophecy is not co-signing on that. <laughs> I'm telling you that right now. Anyway, first order of business. Let's talk about some news and notes. Week six in the Alliance of American Football. So I have a couple of thoughts. Did you catch any of the games or any of the pieces of the game? This time I did, and, and I feel I turned in, I tuned in at the worst possible moment. So I tuned in and watched the end of the Arizona-Orlando game, right? So to my surprise, Orlando was down. But it seemed to me that Arizona was playing prevent defense in the hopes that Orlando would come back and win the game. They were in a position to do so, although they were running out of time. They didn't have any timeouts. So, you know, running up the field, spiking the ball, really playing it quickly. So you, and I'm thinking, you know what? This game is actually going to change. They're actually going to do it. Everything is pointing towards that sign. And then there was a false start penalty 
that led to a 10 second runoff and Arizona won the game. A little bit of sloppiness there. The opportunity was there. To be honest with you, though, it made for a fun ending to the game. Oh, like absolutely. it was there. Like it there was, was great TV. There was a real chance for for the comeback to happen. Now, this is where I'll, this is where I'll point out. If those of you who caught last week's episode would have listened for this specific game, I did say the line for had Orlando by 10, which I thought was a little generous. I said, if you think Orlando was going to win, so I'm, I'm not going to revisionist history this thing. I said, if you think Orlando's going to win, I said, take them straight up because I wasn't confident in them making the 10-point line. But if you had just taken the points, you would have been very happy no matter what. Because even if they had made that comeback, you were good. So that was a winner. That was a winner right there. I also personally took San Antonio in a bit of an upset. That worked out, obviously. So as Dave mentioned, it ended up being Arizona upsetting Orlando, giving handing them their first defeat. It ended up being 22-17. And then uh, Memphis-Salt Lake wasn't really a great game, to be honest with you. And I think the result, though, in the Memphis game might have led into the Johnny Menzel signing, which we'll talk about in a moment. But also San Antonio flat out crushed Atlanta. So I was actually very happy because I did, I did bet on uh, San Antonio. And like I said, I think they were slight underdog. And it was very funny. It's like, yeah. And I, and I went in and I missed the first, a little bit of the first quarter. But I got in there and almost immediately uh, San Antonio was up. And then they just kept pouring it on. And by the end of it, they won by 31. 37 to 6, a little bit one-sided, but kind of fun. Uh, I think uh, the main thing, though, the main takeaway is that San Antonio didn't so much crush them offensively as much as they did. They took advantage of turnovers. There were a lot of turnovers that really uh, positioned them well, gave them short fields, but they did capitalize when they got that and put the points on the board. Then we've got, uh, I'm going to say here, we already covered that, that one, that one. Okay, Birmingham and San Diego was the Sunday nighter. That was a good game. It was very back and forth. And very close in the final score, too. Very much. It came down to a last, uh, last second field goal with three seconds left to, to secure the victory. Uh, San Diego played well. Uh, I'm still not a super fan of Berkovici. I really think, unfortunately, San Diego lost something when Nelson went down with injury. But now they're going to have to make do. Berkovici's not terrible. Like, I've seen worse, clearly. Hackenberger. See Memphis. Yeah, see Memphis. Memphis is just struggling. Now, unfortunately, Mettenberger was good, but Mettenberger got hurt. So then you had to go, and they didn't even want to bring Hackenberg back. That's how bad it was. They just they, they didn't even think about it. They said, yeah, go to the third guy. Go to Silver. It's like, we don't know anything about Silver, but go, go to him. I don't care. We're not, we're not letting Hackenberg back on the field. Well, Hackenberg's had his chance, right? Yeah. And, and really shown that he, he doesn't have it. He was allowed to start the first several games, and he was given plenty of reps to be able to show some manner of progression. Even if he had progressed, I think he would still be under center right now. Yeah, especially with the league that that's their stated purpose. You would think that yeah. if he's showing progression, they're going to keep him in there. Yeah, and I think he's one of the younger quarterbacks, to be honest. So, like, they wanted to give him every single opportunity to succeed. They, they, we were trying. Birmingham, in the end, ended up winning it. And it was funny, though. Uh, did you catch any of the Birmingham-San uh, Diego game? No. Okay. I would recommend, if you get a chance, check out the replay. Because it is very bizarre. Um, Keith Price actually started the game. Uh, and he went three for four. And then had a, a relatively minor injury. I haven't been able to get any updates on that. I got to look a little deeper into it. But for whatever reason, he got a little bit dinged up. And then they brought in Louis Perez. And Louis Perez played the rest of that game. Statistically played well. But the problem that I have with it, and this is uh, something that I covered in my review at the end of it, so he threw for 359 yards. On paper, looks fantastic. Threw for three touchdowns. Those are the first three passing touchdowns he's thrown in the entire season. And he started the first four games. That's not bad. Yeah. I mean, for that game. For that game. Not the other stuff. Yeah. Like, you're thinking, how is that even possible if you started the first four games? Offensively, Birmingham has not been that good. 
and you know the Trent Richardson thing with a few yards per carry and everything. It, it's did that continue this game as well? A little bit, yeah. So what I'll tell you here, as far as Birmingham is, so this is the key element, and I'm and I'm showing Dave the stats, and I'll I'll talk you through them a little bit. The point that I got to was 359 yards, great. Three touchdowns, great. Two interceptions, not great. And he probably could have thrown five, because he because what he was doing was throwing the ball up and do he he went really aggressive. I you know I was impressed with the aggression. But he threw 50-50 ball after 50-50 ball. Throw, he's just throwing jump balls up there? He was, throwing, he was throwing a lot of them. Like, it was a lot of uh, ill-advised passes that happened to work out. And when it works, great. You're going to look good. But he did throw two interceptions anyway, which is not awesome. And, they, and the end result of it was that, you know, 55% completion percentage, not incredible. And, the, uh, and Trent Richardson did elevate his yards per carry to 2.9 for the game. I feel like there should be some like epic music playing now. I, I'm saving the epic music for when he hits three. <laughs> it, it might happen. It could happen this week. If hit, is that a reason to tune in? It would, it would be the only reason to tune in if you're Birmingham. You're hoping that he is like, we're hoping. We're, it's a drive for three. Three yards. Uh, so what's that, like fall over with like a little added push? A little roll. A little roll before someone touches you. Down for contact. I, think I, you, I, feel, it's, I feel it might be possible. I, I feel he can do it. it I have it can, faith. It can be done. What I will say, though, is that they did do a better job. They actually used Trent Richardson a little bit more. Uh, they gave him seven receptions. So they did throw his way a couple of times. And he actually had uh, two yards less receiving than he did rushing. So the thing is, as I said, if you use that a little bit, you actually provide some... So even though Trent Richardson, we joke about how few yards per carry he gets, he does punch it in when you get to the end zone. So that's good. That at least you can rely on... That's been reliable this season. But the other aspect of it is, if you're willing to use him and throw to him, you actually open up the field and give yourself a couple of options. So he was a good check down guy for them to have some plays for. And that opened up the field a little bit and gave him some other options instead of just throwing up jump balls all the time. You're not doing jump balls to Trent Richardson... Probably the Trent Richardson throws are probably the higher percentage throws, which is good. That, that, that's really great. I would prefer that if I'm a Birmingham fan rather than Louis Perez just throwing it randomly. I, I, I'm almost completely out on Louis Perez despite that performance because I just saw so many throws that made me go uh, shake my head and think back to bad Brett Favre. And the problem is Brett Favre, when Brett Favre is good, Brett Favre was very good. But when you got bad Brett Favre who's throwing the 50-50 balls and it's not working, you've got the 2007 NFC Championship. Always finding a way to go back there, eh? I got there. I got there. The segue was clean. The it was. Segue I was, was clean. actually was pretty I, I was able right. to connect the dots beautifully to get us there. Fair. I'll give you that. Yeah. I'll try to find a way to incorporate it into every episode. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to get harder progressively as we go along. But this one was an easy one. Anyway, so that's the bottom line. Uh, so looking at week seven, let's talk about that real quick, and then we'll move on to the next topic. All right, week seven games. We got Orlando taking on Atlanta. Uh, I expect Orlando to rebound a little bit here. I would think um, so. I will say that the line in this one was about it is about currently eight and a half. Now this one I struggle with the ten point line against Arizona. I was all out on. Like I was very emphatic about that. Eight and a half is interesting because if Orlando comes out determined, I can totally see them clearing that line. This one is almost a keep away. Is almost a go away for me. I would maybe just go Orlando straight up. To be honest with you, I would also expect Atlanta to want to to redeem themselves a little bit after getting crushed by thirty one. And Aaron Murray is a good quarterback in this league. Yeah. Yeah. So I expect a better performance from them, to be perfectly blunt. If Atlanta's actually able to generate some offense, then that eight and a half point line might be a little iffy. I would maybe take them straight up, even though you're not going to get a lot out of that. But, you know, do whatever you want. This is just my suggestion for that game. Salt Lake is going to be taking on San Antonio. San Antonio is going to be back in the Alamo Dome. 
I expect uh, coming off a, a solid victory, and the the fans over at the Alamo Dome have been very supportive. I'm expecting another thirty plus uh, thousand, you know, which is great attendance for them. And if that's the case, uh, I think it'll be really good. So they'll they'll continue to lead the league in attendance. I think San Diego is going to be taking on Arizona on Sunday, which could be which should be an interesting game. Yeah, I that, would should, think. that should actually be a good game. Yeah, I, I think, would I would think out of the games listed this week, that would be my pick for the one to watch. I, I think so. I think so. In a tactical error of mammoth proportions. The Sunday Nighter is going to be Birmingham taking on Memphis, which really isn't that compelling. The only item that could possibly make it interesting is our next topic. Johnny Menzel. Yes. So, Johnny Menzel. Let's talk about this. So, the big story to start off with was that Johnny Menzel basically signed a deal to go to the Alliance of American Football, which in terms was fine. We discussed that possibility. Uh, I still think it's a bad idea. To be honest, I think he sucks. But... You know, from a headline-grabbing standpoint, sure, you're going to get some interest. And the reason why I say that Sunday Nighter might be interesting is because now the question is, does Johnny Menzel play? How much does he play? You know, are they going to save him for next week? Or are they going to get him in for at least some snaps this week? If they do get him in there and they announce it, I haven't seen anything about that yet, anything announced as far as that's concerned. But I would think if they intend to play him for even a little bit, I would announce that. Because you can get some eyeballs onto the game itself. It's going to be on the NFL Network, so... People do have that. It's not one of the one of those Bleacher Report ones. It's the NFL Network game, and it's the primetime game on Sunday. I think you can get eyeballs on that game if you say straight up, we're going to play him for at least a quarter or for a couple of series or something. For sure. I think so. I don't think it's going to help them. I think Memphis's quarterback situation is very poor. But let's talk briefly about how Memphis got Johnny Menzo. Because first right of refusal was San Antonio. Right. And they said, no, no. thank you. Yeah. It should be indicative. It should be something that... You know, people should keep in mind, San Antonio from the collegiate rights from Texas A&M had first right of refusal. And they said, we'd rather roll with Logan Woodside. Right. And also remember, San Antonio is not, it's not like they're running away with the league, right? No. I, they believe they're 500? No, they're 4-2. They're 4 They, sorry, they, they're four they two? play well. They play okay. well. They've actually been pretty decent. Oh, right. Yeah. So, yeah. So they're, they're okay. Yeah. Right? But... And I, but I think they've been but I think they've been trending upward to be honest with you. I've I've liked what I've seen from Logan Woodside. Where, where as I said, I'm out on Louis Perez right now because he's been trending downward and he's starting to make more erratic throw. Like I'm not liking what I'm seeing. Right. Logan Woodside though has been slowly. Imp- he's not blowing up the scoreboard. He's not putting up the big monster numbers. But he's being efficient. He's actually he's completing enough passes in the right way at the right time to give his team chances to win. And San Antonio as a team seems fairly well coached. They're doing actually the right... So they're looking at Logan Woodside and going like, he's not a liability. He's not hurting us. Well, if you're on an upward trajectory... Yeah. And you're winning why, games... Why do you want to mess with that? Yeah, and you're winning games. It's like, there's there's nothing to be gained by bringing the circus to town if it's not going to help you. No. Now, here's what I think. I mean, Memphis took a flyer on him, right? And I think if any team was going to take Johnny Menzel, Memphis would probably be the one to do it because right. they have so many quarterbacking issues. Yeah. Uh, well, the thing that gets me... Like, this doesn't excite me at all. But the thing, the thing that I find curious is we still don't know what happened in the CFL. Like, we know his numbers, right? We know that he went 2-6 and six as a starter with Montreal. He was uh, six, about a 64% passing. He had five TDs and seven interceptions. Yes. Not great numbers, but the passing statistics are, are passable, especially with a really bad team that he mm-hmm. had with to go with. But the thing is, there was some clause in his contract or agreement that he made with the CFL. So I was doing some reading here. Mm-hmm. So before he actually Wait, signed... are you doing intrepid reporting? Hold on. I am doing some Go on. Reporting. Please continue. So before... So for those of you who don't know, originally he signed with the Hamilton Tiger Cats at the CFL. This is after his Cleveland days. And then Hamilton traded him to Montreal for two first-round draft picks, which looks like one... Of, right now, looks like one of the best trades in the history of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. 
Topic for another day. But Low the point bar. is, before he signed with the Ticats, he actually met with the commissioner of the CFL and had a one-on-one with the commissioner. Which, which you is, have to, to be honest, given his reputation. Which is fair for him, but unusual in a sense for a player, right? Generally speaking, when a player signs with the league, they don't have a personal one-on-one with the commissioner. So they, you know, because of that and whatever, they came to some sort of agreement. Yeah, but think right. about toxic he is, though, because uh, Ricky Williams played in the CFL, and Ricky Williams had a couple of little issues there, uh, you know, himself, and they didn't see fit to do something like that with him. No, they just said, "We'll let you try to play football if you can play." You can play. One, if he you played can, one you can. year. He was playing during yeah. suspension. No, but that was the point. It's like he, he was suspended, so they still took him on, for, and they did drugs, and they didn't need the same kind of conditions. <laughs> They, they no. said, look, if you can play, you can play. If you well, can't, it, you can't. It seems to me that the, the issues they were worried about was the the domestic violence and, and the and the potential for something further to happen and the, the alcohol abuse Correct. that hadn't been happening has been documented. But we don't know exactly what went down. We don't know what the terms that he agreed to were. And the, CF, nor, the CFL nor Johnny Menzel has said, this is why I got kicked out of the CFL. So there's something we're still missing here. One of the things that keeps coming up when people talk about it is, is it potentially work ethic? Now, if you read his tweets and you go into his stuff, one of the things he mentioned when he was let go by the CFL was, you know, thank you, Montreal, for the opportunity. You've really ignited, reignited my love for the game and, you know, how important it is to work hard. And so he alluded to that. Mm. But there's still questions around that. So I'm curious to see, and I don't think we may never find out, what actually happened because the question is, if you know whatever it is, is that going to follow him around? Yeah, I think the I think the questions, like I said, it's all speculation. We we still don't have a lot of information. A little bit has started to come out potentially. There are reports out there that uh, the actual thing that the CFL had problems with is that he failed to attend some mandatory meetings that he had basically agreed to attend to for certain things. So the specifics obviously haven't come out. They may in time if people you know keep chipping away at it. They may at some point figure it out. But the point is he broke some condition that he agreed to the CFL directly with. He said, I'll attend these meetings, do this, and basically did that and got himself kicked out in effect. In, you know, you can argue whether it was intentional or unintentional. The concern that you bring up is going to be one. Memphis is in a weird position. Part of the reason why I think Memphis agreed to take him is because of their quarterbacking situation. The fact that they've got Silver, who really isn't that great, because they didn't think enough of him to start him earlier. Mettenberger was playing well for them, all, all things considered, but he's hurt, so he's injured. And I believe he's out for the season, so that's not coming back. And Hackenberg had his chance and showed nothing. So so they're like, okay, well, at this point, we need to take a quarterback. We need somebody, somewhere from somebody. So they go, we'll take a shot at it. I don't think for them it's so much the publicity. They go, look, at least this guy played football somewhere recently. So we'll try and see if we can do something with him. Oh, I think, I think we're past the point of, unless you're potentially the XFL, which... Could totally happen after this season. I'd like to think he's going to go for the Grand Slam. If, but, you know, after he flunks out of this league, yeah. he'll try to flunk out of one But more. I think we're past the point, really, of signing Johnny Menzel to put butts in seats or to create a buzz. I think we're past that point. I think I don't Because think, he has enough of a track record of not being a good quarterback. I don't think it'll put butts in seats, but I think for the curiosity factor in a league that's considered to be a second-tier league, I think people will still tune in on television. I think they can still do a rating for a game or two. That's that's about as far we'll as I see. think it'll go. I'm curious, especially since Memphis is so bad, I'm curious to see how Sunday's game, how the ratings compare to previous Sunday games. I think it's also going to depend on whether they let people know if he's going to play or not. Because if they can't, because if they don't say anything, 
don't even allude to it, people are going to be a little bit 50-50 iffy. No, oh, for sure. They're not going to know. All I'm saying is, if, if it's between this game and March Madness, I'm taking March Madness. No, no. I, I think I think they know that right now, like, this month, they're, they're in hard competition. Because the NCAA tournament is going to dominate a lot of things. And there isn't really... It works out well on the calendar for a lot of things because even though the even though the alliance is in weeks is in week seven here or yeah in week seven there's still a couple of weeks left and they're going to be going into April that's pretty good and the truth is that right now they don't necessarily need to steal headlines but if they can steal a couple of eyeballs potentially that, also, w- that wouldn't be horrible yeah, it's also theoretically possible that they could make the playoffs still highly unlikely. But theoretically possible. Yeah, the hopes are dwindling. I don't think they're... I think they're basically just trying to see if they can salvage something. Yeah. Um, trying to squeak I, I out a couple that, of wins. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. And they may as well grasp at straws. One more thing. I didn't put it on the format, but it totally occurred to me, and I forgot about it, and I should have put it on there. Did you hear that the Alliance has uh, moved this championship game? No. Uh, no. Like, you mean it was, it was in Las Vegas, but they uh, struck a deal to move it to the, um, to the facility that the Dallas Cowboys own in Fresco, Texas. Which is interesting because uh, basically what that means is that they've established a little partnership with kind of the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, so the thing, I did see that the game had been moved to Texas, Mm -hmm. but I I had forgotten that it was in Vegas to begin with. Yes. I don't blame them. To be honest, I, I would rather attend the game in Vegas. But, but... All things considered, though, it is still kind of an it is still a good kind of a good news move for the league because that because Jerry Jones has shown some interest. Jerry Jones was did an interview with an alliance cap on, so Jerry Jones seems to like the league at least to a certain, which is wonderful for them. And Jerry Jones is still a, we can make fun of Jerry Jones for the nonsense that he does with his, with his football team, and we will. But yeah, and we will. But you can't argue that he's a powerful owner in the NFL, so his word carries some sway. So I think if he's being supportive of the league, there's and they're already on the NFL network. So there, there's there's some friendly talks. Mm-hmm. Bill Polian is well respected in the NFL. Like they've got the people to make the connections. Yeah. To be able to have like I said, my big thing is if the Alliance of American Football, they've already established that they basically are going to play themselves as a developmental league. They've made no uh, no illusions otherwise. They've be, they've been very clear on this. The nail in the coffin for the nascent XFL before they even get out of the block is if the NFL basically endorses them as the de facto developmental league. And basically says, we're not going to interfere with you, but we'd love maybe to buy a piece of the league and we'll support you. Because as soon as, as, soon as they basically say that, players are going to go, wait a minute. So financially, you're supported. You've got strong ownership. You've got a billionaire who's backing you. Your Plus, salaries are pretty decent. Yeah, salaries are decent. If you want to play professional football, this, this is a living. And... The NFL is paying attention to you because they basically defined you as the de facto feeder league. That's not a terrible place to be because if you think you had got a shot at the NFL, they're going to look at you. No, for sure. The fact that they got off the uh, the ground a year before the XFL is huge for the Alliance. Yeah, but it's these uh, it's these early connections that they've been making and these folks. I think the uh, the Alliance folks did they did gamble early on. But they did make the right connections in terms of getting the Bill Polians of the world behind it at the right time. And those are some good names. Right now, the XFL is trying to be very flashy with the head coach hirings they're doing. You know, they got Bob Stoops over in the Dallas team and that kind of stuff, which sounds good. But then, like, who are your players going to be? And it's going to be harder to pick up players. You can say, oh, well, you know, Alliance is second tier. Well, the XFL might be third tier because you're going to get the ones the Alliance don't want. Because a lot of the players are going to look at the situation, and like I said, if you get that golden stamp of approval from the from the NFL, a lot of players are going to be like, okay, I, I'd like to go play over here. It's my best shot at, at a direct line. It's like the minor league system. It's like getting in AAA. I want to go play in AAA rather than independent ball. There's For nothing sure. wrong with independent ball, but you're much closer if you're yeah, playing AAA. Absolutely. 
So that's just something to keep in mind. And this, this story is a little bit interesting. I'd love to see what the capacity is on this. Um, I also like the price for the championship tickets. Uh, they're between $15 and $99. Yeah. Which I think is very fair. That's very reasonable. I think it could, and it could potentially be a good game because you're going to get the two best teams at that stage. Yeah. Very good. So that's our Alliance of American Football content for the week. All right. So now let's go back to baseball for a bit and talk about this Trout deal. So Mike Trout has signed an extension, right? So he, he, was, he wasn't about to hit free agency. I mean, he was close, but he wasn't in free agency. And so he decided that he was going to sign an extension, which is great, I think, for Trout and for the team. Carlos, why don't you tell us a little bit about why you think it's a good idea? Oh, no, I think it's a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> so here's the thing. I have no issue with Mike Trout. And I have, no, I have no issue with any of these guys that signed these mega contracts. The problem is, and I'm trying to get my brain across it, and I've looked at the advanced analytics, and I'm going, I understand the argument. They say, you know, no one at that age has, has you know, put up the war numbers. And it's like, okay, look, I love statistics. I genuinely love statistics. This, that's not an exaggeration. I do. You know, when I was a kid, I was the guy when Baseball Weekly used to exist. You know, it's converted at this point. But when Baseball Weekly used to exist, part of the reason I like getting those issues is because they had full pages of stats. I love that stuff. And I love going to BaseballReference.com and looking at all those things today, even still. The thing is, I'm looking at Mike Trout, and I can see, you know, he's clearly great. That's not, that's not in question. The problem is I'm looking at it and going like, okay, are you guys paying him this because he's an all-time great? Which he may well be. He's trending in that direction. The comparables at his age right now is like Frank Robinson. That's, that's tremendous. But at the same time, you know, statistically, if I actually look at it, I go, well, number one, you haven't won anything. And I'm not blaming Mike Trout for that, by the way. That's the Angels organization. That's the team they've built. Uh, they picked up Albert Pujols on the back end of his career after he had already been brilliant through his age 30 season. So I understand why they did it. They made the big splash. But Pujols was going to be in decline. That's just the way this works. And injuries have hampered him and all that stuff. That, that happens. And Albert Pujols will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. So I don't blame you for doing that move. But at the same time, looking at it from an organizational standpoint, so you've committed over $35 million per season to a player for 12 years. So you took the Bryce Harper deal, and then Mike Trout's basically said he and his agent got a call from the Angels that said, hey, tell him to hold your beer. And then you went and just blew it out of the water. 12 years, $426.5 million. I mean, monster numbers. The biggest problem I have with it is this. This is the best way I'll put it. Even if you think you're going to get it, I'm going to find very hard. I will take a bet with almost anybody who wants to take a bet on it that after year seven of this extension, it's going to be really hard to justify it for the last five years or so. You're basically what you're hoping for in order to try to get your value, your bang for your buck out of this is you're hoping that you can get past year seven without injury problems, without you know a decline of some kind. Because here's the thing, Mike Trout, is obviously still not exactly at his peak yet. Theoretically, if you take hitters historically, right when they get into the late 20s and early 30s is when they hit their prime, and then they basically run out of their prime right about their mid-30s. And historically, this is proven. Even in the article that, I, that I'll cite, and I'll put a link in the, uh, in the description and in the show notes, they, they, they basically have to look for comparables for Mike Trout because they're saying that the consistency is rare, at, especially at a young age. So they're looking at like Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays, and they play out that scenario. Well, Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays, so Mickey Mantle, injuries, you know, you know, his drinking, various things. After his age 34 season, he went into a precipitous decline. Injuries finally piled up. They had already been happening his whole career, but they finally hit him and he couldn't recover from them Yeah, anymore. the cumulative effect take, is yeah. taken there. So by that point, he was in a steady, steady, steady decline. His last several seasons were actually kind of sad by comparison. And Willie Mays 
right around that same point in his mid-30s, 34, 35, he was still an excellent player. But then he began to decline also. Now, he did it a little more gracefully. At the tail end, he was really bad compared to his capabilities. Right, but everyone's going to decline event. I mean, that, that's going to happen. But some but guys hit a wall and then collapse. No, for and sure. Some guys, and some guys move down steadily. Willie and, Mays was the more steady. And what you're hoping for is that it's going to be a, 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 a not a precipitous decline. That yeah. it's a gradual. But here's the thing. If you're an Angels fan, yeah. right, play a little devil's advocate here. If you're an Angels fan, and let's say within that set first seven years of the deal, you win a World Series championship or two, do you care? No, you don't. But I, I, my thought process is what I'm looking at with these teams, I understand why the players do it. And I'm sure they wouldn't agree to it. If it was me and I was the Angels, I would be like, okay, look, we're going to give you a four, we're gonna give you a $400 million extension. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a $50 million a year for eight years. And then after that, figure it out. I'm going to give you the same amount, but I'm going to give it to you in a shorter span of time. It's still gonna. It's still gonna. You know, as an organization, it's still gonna. You know, oh well, thirty-five is you know easier to swallow. Guess what, guys? Fifteen million dollars a year. You when you're paying the thirty-five million in year eight, nine, ten, eleven, and twelve, you're not gonna feel better that you saved it up front. You 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 almost want to be like, look, can I just pay you more money than God per season, but just cut down the time period and just be like, look, per season, this is obscene. Like 50 million a year. And then let's just make it eight years because then you're out right around the time of his age 34, 35 season. If he experiences that decline, then you can renegotiate something more in line with market at that time. Yeah. Or you can send him off on his merry way and then you got presumably the best Mike Trout. Yeah. The the one thing I'm thinking though is I'm wondering if this, we're going to start seeing this being a trend. Not necessarily the money, right? Because obviously not everyone's going to get the money, but... But, but think of it this way. So if you're a player, someone like Bryce Harper or Manny Machado, say, mm. so you've entered your free agency, you are considered one of, if not the top free agent in your class, mm-hmm. right? Poised to get a lot of money from somebody, right? Would you, if you could, you would rather get that money from someone you, who you feel has a legitimate chance to win the World Series, correct? From an endorsement standpoint, from a thinking long-term, yes. I, I think we would both argue that right now, I mean, the Phillies are probably a little further along, right? But I don't think either San Diego or Philadelphia are really in the position that they're going to win a World Series within the next couple of years. Maybe. I, we could be wrong. Yeah. But I'm, I'm seeing all these other players signing these deals. And I'm thinking maybe you're going to start seeing, you know, people say, look, the grass isn't always greener on the other side because I might not be able to sign with the team I want. So if I'm in a pos- position where I'm going to just get paid ridiculous money anyway, or at least more than I'm getting paid. Yeah. Maybe not ridiculous money, but I'm poised to make some good money. Maybe I am just going to sign the extension where I am and stay where I am. So think about this. Here's some other comparable things. All right. Alex Bregman. He's pulling out the newspaper articles. We're, we're going old school. Here we go. Okay. Six years, $100 million extension. Yep. Okay. The White Sox. Yes, those White Sox. That couldn't possibly be worse than last year. Couldn't possibly. They could be lose worse. 100 games and not possibly be worse. Uh, he, they're Aloy Jimenez. Jimenez. Prospect, number three prospect. So he's behind Vladimir Guerrero Jr. on the prospect list. Sure. Right? He got the largest financial guarantee for a position player before his major league debut. Six years, $43 million. Guaranteed. I accept your terms. Right? right? Tampa Bay Rays infielder, Brandon Lowe. Six years, at least $24 million. Blake Snell, five years, $50 million. Days after the club had re-upped him for a raise of $15,500. So you get like a little bit of raise and then some more guaranteed money. Paul Goldschmidt, who just got signed by St. Louis, agreed to a five-year, $130 million. Mm -hmm. Last one, 
Red Sox, Chris Sale, five years, $145 million, pending a physical for him. Yeah. But I think what we're seeing is because, we're you know, the collective bargaining agreement is going to be up soon. So there's talk about what's free agency going to look like I think, in the I think I think you just made the, 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 the main point there, though. I think a well, lot of these players are looking at that and going like, hold on, I'd like to secure my money. Fair enough. Yeah. But I also think if you're seeing guys... But here's the other point to that. It was just I'm trying to make. And I, I think that's a totally fair point. Yep. And probably enters the thinking. At least a little bit. But if you're seeing guys who are top of their game, not signing contracts till the middle of spring training, mm-hmm. right? If you have the chance to, you know, make some guaranteed money, which is still good money, and you're not going to be, you know, you're not a Bryce Harper. You're a good player, mm-hmm. but you're not considered and i know we can make the argument that bryce harper isn't that good carlos likes to make that argument i'm not saying he's not good i'm saying he's He's not higher highest end players of all time good at this point like i haven't seen that i've seen one mvp season like settle down everyone but i think people will start saying you know what maybe i can take the guaranteed money i'm in a place where i'm comfortable Mm -hmm. right because there's no guarantee that i'm going to go to a better team because they may not offer me that kind of money just just something to think about i you know but what if you're able to get KD and Kyrie? Well, in that case. Yeah. The thing is, uh, I don't disagree. Uh, I think, though, there's something to be said. Like, it taking even, like, the Manny Machado one, would you take $300 million to play in San Diego? Oh, sure. Like, at the end of the day, it's like, okay, well, what's the worst, what's the worst that can happen here? So we don't win. But if I play well, then people won't complain to me about it. I will make $30 million a year. And, I, and San Diego's really nice. It's really nice. There's a worse way to live your life. You'd like to win. That, that would be the ideal, of course. But at the end of the day, you know, there's something to be said for, um, you know, being able to live your life the way you want to live it and just be happy. For sure. Just chilling out. Fans don't necessarily like that. It isn't, uh, and it's understandable, because we're fan, you're a fan because you're competitive. You know, you're a fan because you presumably care about the fate of the team and you want to see them win. You'd rather see them win than the alternative. But the truth is that for a lot of these players, a lot of them do care about winning. But at the same time, when you're making more money than most people will make in a lifetime, you're willing to make some sacrifice. Like not in day to day to day, would I go and live in Milwaukee day to day? I'm sure Milwaukee's nice. Would that be my first choice to go? Not necessarily. But if you pay me $30 million a year, sure. I can do that for a couple of months out of the year and then go live wherever I want the rest of the time. That's not the worst thing in the world. A lot of these teams, a lot of these teams are going to have to make their decisions because the teams are in the same boat right now. A lot of them, some of them are throwing out the big money, but at the same time, when they're looking at their future, they're agreeing to these deals, and it's not like the NFL where I can just cut a guy if I don't like him anymore and then just basically like toss him to the side. These are guaranteed contracts. As long as the player shows up to work, you know, if you want to try to put him on an injury reserve or something, then you got to work something out. But at the same time, if the player is physically able and comes to work and does his job, you're paying him that money. Yes, it's not performance based. So you're, you're paying them on past performance, not on future. That's what a lot of these big extensions make it interesting. It's like, we're paying Mike Trout, not for what he's going to do. We're hoping he's going to do that. But he could go break his leg tomorrow and then do a Mickey Mantle from 1951, but not recover the same way. And then suddenly be a 20 home run player who is lucky to get 60 RBIs and hits 260 and maybe plays the rest of his career. What are they going to feel about that for $426 million? Yep. Well, that's a chance they clearly were willing to take. Exactly. And, and that's the risk you're taking. Injuries can happen. And even the article in question, like I said, I'll, I'll link the article so everybody can look at it because it's actually pretty good. It's got some nice infographics and charts. And they, and they do comparisons to Mickey Mantle as one scenario that can happen where injuries plague you. And then Willie Mays where, you know, he plays well for a really long time, declines in his older age, but declines in a way that's more normal where it's just, yeah, he, you know, he's getting slower. He's, you know, losing a little bit. 
But power is usually the last thing to go. The thing with Mike Trout, though, is that he's never been a 50 home run guy anyway. You know, he's not that guy. And he is a 300 home run hitter, but he's not like a 350 hitter. That's why when I look at some of these mega contracts, the comparison I've always made is like the Albert Pujols at his prime, the Maglio Odonias, um, you know, at his peak, and the Miguel Cabrera. The Miguel Cabreras are the ones that I love because they hit for power and average, and they're putting up these numbers. And then at the same time, Mike Trout is very good defensively, but he's not a perennial gold glover either. He's just really, really, really good at a lot of things. In terms of like scary talent, I'd even take like a Josh Hamilton at his peak, at his absolute best. He was a 5-2 player at his peak. Now, obviously, he had his own issues, you know, injuries and, you know, uh, you know, substance abuse issues and all of it. But at his peak, as a baseball player, Josh Hamilton was better than Mike Trout could ever hope to be in taking in a one-season peak volume. Yeah, in a small sample size. In a small sample size. If you give me the best season of Josh Hamilton and the best season of Mike Trout, Josh Hamilton's better. But like I said, Mike Trout's value is that he will be there next year. Assuming he's healthy and everything, he will be there next year and be able to perform next year and the year after and the year after that, and you're not worrying about him the same way that you would worry about a Josh Hamilton. That's that's the comparison, and that's what you're paying for. And I get it. Uh, you know, they're hoping for security, and really what the Angels are doing is that, like, they're hoping to make him the stable rock that they presumably would build around. So I get it, but it's just, it's just odd to me. I And uh, for the players, I don't blame them. For Mike Trout, this is a great deal. For, you know, Chris Sale, it's a great deal. For, you know, Manny Machado, it's a great deal. For Bryce Harper, it's a great deal. All of these guys are secured well past whatever the next CBA says. They're already locked in. It's it's in black and white, already signed. Yeah. So good for those guys. I'm not going to hate on it. I just want to make clear, I don't hate on any of them. I just, I, I struggle to find the logic from the team standpoint, sometimes. Like, I, I, it's tough for me. So that's all I'm saying. All right. So I think that's good. We've got the Mike Trout piece. Okay. So let's talk about Major League Baseball technically already started. Uh, we had our first two games of the season. The uh, Seattle Mariners taking on the Oakland Athletics played two games in Japan in the Tokyo Dome. Any uh, thoughts you want to add on that? Well, I like the series in general. I think it's kind of cool to have baseball earlier. But it's also weird that now you're going to have like a week between actual real season games. But I know we talked about it previously about why they do that. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, like it was some enjoyable baseball. I mean, it starts at 5.30 in the morning, so I was catching the later innings after I got up. I wasn't getting up to watch the beginning of the game. I feel it was great to see how the fans reacted to Ichiro. I give him his due because Ichiro has been a great player. He's a god in Japan. He really is. Uh, but he went 0-4 in two games. It's really sad. Like, I act, uh, real quick, uh, I want to talk about this a little bit more. But real quick, I really felt like, I, I, understand, what, I understand why they did it this way. I really felt like the move to shut him down last season and not let him just finish out the season. Because he stayed with the Mariners as kind of, um, I guess, an instructor, consultant, like co-coach or something like that. Some weird nebulous thing where he was still on the roster, so to speak, but not actually playing games. To me, last season would have made more sense. Just let the guy play. Let him play out the rest of the season. And then you can still have him come back for the two games in the Japan series and give him his final send off in Japan. You could have done both. Yeah. And I'm sure he would have gotten a couple more hits during last season. But then you basically shut him down for half the year. I, I don't remember exactly when they cut him off last season. But they, you shut him down for at least half the year last season. And then suddenly, all right, uh, here, play some spring training. And then here, go to Japan and try to hit something. It would have been really poetic if he could have gotten a couple of hits no, in his final sure. series. Especially since the other thing is if you're putting a, somebody in that you know in your lineup is is basically doesn't have a chance of hitting in an American League game where you, the pitchers aren't hitting, right? These are real games that potentially could matter down the line. I understand, but they're right? but they're, they're two and zero. Oh. 
but they're but on pace for they're on pace for 162 it, it worked, and 0. It worked out for Seattle. They won both of the games. Yeah. But if it didn't, right? Yeah. I think Ichiro actually did have a hit where if his legs were where they were 10 years ago, he actually had a chance to leg out a ground ball. He he got real close to legging one out. Um, which would have been excellent, by the way. If he had legged one out, I'd be honest with you. Now, baseball is good for this historically. Honestly, if I was the fielder, I would have taken like an extra half second to double clutch it. Give him a break. Give, give him the one hit, especially for single. Just give him a Because that's what happened with Mickey Mantle's 500th home run. I think it was uh, Danny, I think it was, uh, Danny McClain. Uh, he basically let Mantle know that I'm throwing you a fastball. And then he threw one and Mantle thought he was joking. And then he goes, all right, you're getting one more. And he grooved it down the middle and gave Mantle his 500th home run. Baseball historically has, has given these guys these moments, especially when they've been around a long time and they've done a lot, and uh, they're, they've been good for. Each year has been tremendous for the game. Three thousand hits in Major League Baseball, not adding not adding the thirteen hundred or so hits in Japan, and that's a separate argument. Pete Rose doesn't want to uh, acknowledge those other ones, but three thousand hits in Major League Baseball anyway, and almost thirty one hundred if we're being really particular, because I think it's thirty eighty nine, and I'm doing that off the top of my head, but I think that's correct. But just imagine. If he had come a couple of years earlier, not even like a lot, one or two years earlier, 3,500 hits, like that's, that's right at that top tier. It's, it's ridiculous. And it puts into context how hard it is and how hard it's going to be going forward to have those 3,000 hits, guys. So you really should celebrate them because they're going to get rarer as we go along. They're not coming out. Guys aren't getting 200 hits a season consistently anymore. No. And even, and even the guys that can... They can't sustain it. It starts to drop off. Those averages start to come down. They start, and the game is really a lot about home runs and strikeouts now. But it, it's a lot, and and that's not great. It's um it's leading to a game that's really become a lot of uh, just trying to bomb it out of the park, and we're not appreciating the guys who actually just put the ball in play and can get to first base consistently. But anyway, but uh you know good on Ichiro. Best of luck in his retirement. First ball of Hall of Famer, no question. Uh, now that the seal has been broken on the hundred percent, honestly, he should be hundred percent. Like, to me, Ichiro is a Hall of Famer in every way. And that should be one of those guys, especially for his international impact, because he's a star both in, in America, in North America, and in Japan, and they respect him everywhere where baseball is played. So, top tier, good luck to Ichiro. And uh, look for the Mariners. They're on pace for 162 wins. Woo! I know. Unfortunately, the Oakland A's are on pace for 162 losses. Boo. Anyway. All right. Uh, thoughts on the NCAA tournament? You've got some thoughts? Uh, not a ton of thoughts. I've been enjoying the basketball. I just wanted to point out a couple things that I feel are interesting. So first of all, in my bracket, I have Duke winning the whole thing. Just want to put that out there. You, you are a bold, bold man. I appreciate you getting on a limb there. Mostly because of R.J. Barrett, the Canadian that plays for them, who had 26 points and 14 rebounds in the first game, which was more points than Zion had. I just want to put that out there too. But they beat, uh, they won 85-62 which is great in the first game. A couple other things that are of note. I think Oregon's a team to watch. They're, they were the lower seed, but they beat Wisconsin. So I feel they, I don't think obviously they're going to win it because they picked Duke, mm. but I feel they're poised to make a run. And the Liberty Flames beat the Mississippi Bulldogs, Mississippi State. Yeah, I think it was, uh, a, I think it was a big upset, right? That was a big upset. What, what were the rankings? I don't remember what the two seeds were there. I want to say one was a 12, it was like a 12, 6. Okay. Something like that. Yeah, every every year, there's a couple of those, like where you're, where like a lower seed will knock somebody off. Like when an eight beats a nine, or sorry, a nine beats an eight. Not a big deal. It's okay, whatever. Yeah, but you know, I think if and, you're a double digit seed and you beat and you beat the other one, that's kind of a big deal, especially in the early rounds. Um, and at least Iona gave um, North Carolina a scare last night. Too. I don't know, my old high school. Good no, job, guys. They were at uh, they were up at halftime, but then. North Carolina. Clearly, the halftime talk worked. I'm joking. It's just fun for me whenever someone says Iona. I wanted to put out for you. Okay. I'm not sure you're aware of this. Go on. 
the University of Buffalo. Oh, let's U- represent. Is I think Buffalo. it's is it U B or U of B? I forget. I forget I what feel they call it's themselves. U of B is actually U of B, but they might call themselves. I've U-B. actually been by that campus. I was by that campus with Oaks. Nice. We, we were driving by. I think we got lost. I think we went the wrong way to head to sunny scenic Tonawanda, and we ended up somehow beside the University of Buffalo. But they campus. won. They were the higher seed. They okay. won. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But do you know who they beat? Arizona State. Yes. Without even guessing, I, I just assumed this. That was where we were going with that. So. Yeah. Yeah, not not great. It's it's not been good times for for Arizona State athletics. Not for the most part. I'm sure I'm sure there's a couple of teams that are doing well because right now the NCAA, a lot of those bigger schools have a lot of teams. So yeah, just the football program hasn't been that great the last couple of years, and uh, I really don't know too much about the basketball program and how they're doing. But yeah, but anyway, they're out. So I just want to point that out too. Uh, so far, so good. Uh, Duke was really impressive, but they, like with Zion and. And R.J. Barrett, I think they're poised to go a long way. I think anything short of a Final Four is is a disappointment. I think, so. yeah, I think I think most people have Duke there to be right at the end. The question is whether they win it all or not. Anything's possible. Obviously, you're playing single game elimination. That's that's really the appeal of the of it. Having single game elimination means if you have one bad day, that's enough to knock off you know your primrose path to the final. The other thing that's uh, going to be interesting for me, I'm going to start paying a little more attention to it. I'm peripherally watching it. Like I, I get the updates on different social media outlets, checking out the scores and the, the games. And I'll watch some highlights here and there. When we get to a, when we get to maybe the Elite Eight, most likely the Final Four. When we get to the Final Four, I want to check it out a little bit more because then you're down to the best teams. Uh, I, I, there are some good games though. From all, I, from all accounts that I've heard, there have been some really good games Absolutely. already. And in the early rounds, there are good games. And the other sure. thing though, there's also some really bad basketball. Of course, absolutely. <laughs> You know, some of the shot selection and some of the, you know, when you're like, oh, that's there. He's pulled up for three and they totally air it. Yeah. Like multiple times in a game. Well, I think that's, I think though that's a product, that's a product of coaching. It's a product of the players emulating what they're seeing in the NBA because a lot of teams, a lot of team, the a lot of teams have moved to doing the math because they're sitting there going, okay, okay. Instead of trying to go into the paint and trying to get a layup or something, they, they go, let's just shoot threes. But what if you miss? It's like, oh, yeah, you're going to miss. You're probably going to miss most of them. But mathematically, if you make a decent clip of them, you're going to get more points than if you get layups at a slightly higher percentage. For sure. So I feel like there's a happy medium. I feel like there should be some teams who should be thinking, what if we get a high field goal percentage of those safe two-point plays and just consistently make them? I feel like you could still make a lot of points that way. But I don't know. It's, It's a philosophical change in the game, which is reflecting in the college game as well. So... That's fair. I get it. So NCAA and... All right. With much regret and uh, hesitation, I give you the pretentious cross-country running report with Dave Turbo. So this uh, today's report comes from the Toronto FC home opener. This is just something that I, fi- I find is interesting with the game. So let me try and explain this and, and, and why... This is my point. Nobody cares in the long run and nothing is going to change. Stop right there. I think we can just cut it off. Podcast over. Good job, everyone. <laughs> we did it. We, we can if you want. <laughs> we, no, it's like, we did it, you guys. We totally did it. We and finally that, got the admission. It's like, if you if you want to know actually what we're talking about, re- read the article in the description. Yeah, there you go. Go on. But there was a play where a player received a ball who was clearly offside, passed it off to another player, and that player scored, which put the game, at, it put TFC up 2-1 at the time. Mm-hmm. Also known as an insurmountable lead in soccer. Go on. And, and basically, the argument is, is the rule in, in soccer is if you're a defender and a ball is sort of be near... So if someone's passing to someone who's offside and you're a defender and you deliberately make a move at the ball, 
whether you actually make contact with the ball or not, that negates the offside. Mm-hmm. So this player kind of just barely touched the ball and kind of goes at it. It nicks off him and goes to players on side. Mm-hmm. The referee, the assistant referee, actually raises his flag for offside, but then goes, wait, no, that was deflection. Takes it down, mm-hmm. and then the goal is scored. Obviously, the New England players are quite upset. Yeah. It goes to... VAR. That's not dissimilar, though, to the, um, you know, not to bring it, not to bring it. That's not dissimilar to the other football where, you know, if you, you know, if you kick the ball off or if you hit a punt and the guy go and the guy goes like he's going to, um, you know, he, he fails to, to call for a fair catch and then is moving away like he's going to uh, let it go and then touches it and it nicks him. Yeah. And then the other team immediately picks it up and runs in no, it for, for a touch. For sure. Uh, and then, and which is, which is. The thing that gets me is so the people are talking about it, like the media and some of the players, especially on New England, are talking about like this is some great travesty in the sense that, you know, I can't believe this happened. Well, what if someone now just goes and deliberately stands offside? This has been the rule for a very long time. It's not like this rule just was invented. Yeah, this as far season. as I, as far what they did just have got as much as much as I do enjoy pretentious cross country running, I did read the article. But yeah, that's the impression I got is that this this isn't a new rule. They didn't invent this yesterday, you know, and and which is why it's, the other reason it's not going to change is that there's actually com- the committee that makes the rules and changes the rules if need be every the year. Secret cabal, yeah, is basically the FAs of Great Britain, so like Wales, Northern Ireland, Scotland, England, and like FIFA, and they get together and change. Can I rules. join this cabal? The drinking would be right? tremendous. So it's like it's like you know if you have an issue in like North America or in Africa or in let's just go Oceania. Wow. Just uh, wow. You have no real final say in, in what happens, right? It's a, it, it is a very selective committee that changes the rules. I think this is a whole hullabaloo about nothing. Ooh, right? hullabaloo. Nothing is going to change. The rule is not going to change. They're not going to go, oh, there's something, right? Now, if something like this happens like multiple times in a World Cup, then maybe you see a change. Otherwise, get over it. New England, get over it. People who are complaining about it, get over it. Move on. Nothing to see here. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, like I said... Nuances like this are not unique to soccer as a sport. There are different rules, and different teams learn how to exploit rules. It's it's not unlike people, and I've seen people complain about different quarterbacks in you know the NFL doing hard counts and different things to induce an offside. You know they they and then they get a free play, and then they go and they bomb it, and if they hit the touchdown, the other team's like you know what what is that? But that's part of the rules. Yeah, and you know going back into baseball history. If there's an edge, if there's something you can use within the context of the rules, is it, and even if after the fact you go, oh, that's shady. It's like, but that wasn't against the rules at the time. And you go always throw that back. You want to change the rule? Fine, change the rule. But otherwise, if there's an edge to be gained, I'm taking it. Yeah. I'm doing everything in my power. My goal is to win. So if my goal is to win, then I have to look at all the rules. My job is to understand the rule so that I can apply it to my best advantage. Exactly. Very Bill, Checky, uh, Bill Belichickian of us. But that's the reality. It's until you change that rule, I am taking it to its absolute limit. I'm going to go into that gray area. And then if, you know, you catch me and, you t- and it turns out it's against, I go, I go, oh, my bad. You know, and then you back away and you move on. Yeah. And then you find another rule to exploit. Exactly. That's just how it works. There we go. That's fair. And that has been your pretentious cross-country running report. Exciting and scintillating as always. As always. Let's talk some hockey. All right. Hockey. 
The CRTC will be pleased that we are going to discuss. Matchups haven't been fully established, but we can start to get a bit of an idea based on the standings as they stand today. I think for most teams, I could be mistaken. I think we're about six or seven games out from the end of the regular season for most of these teams. I Correct. Believe. Yeah. So, but we can start to get a little bit of a view of what the matchups look like currently. When we get the official matchups, when we're actually at the end and all the playoff things have been solidified, we'll have one more discussion where we'll look at total predictions, but we can at least get a view of what it looks like today. So we've got some matchups. Uh, the link is going to be in the description to an ESPN. Um, I, I can't say article. It's more like an ESPN like placeholder page where they're showing the breakdowns of the current situation. And I think I'm assuming they update this yeah. as it goes. Okay, it perfect. So which so, is great. So the link will be in the description and in the show notes, so you can check it out and see kind of what we're talking about as well. Any of these you want to pick up? Pick on uh, so, off the bat. Well, I think the biggest thing is is really I feel like the East is pretty much set for the most part I think except yes. for who's going to get the wild card correct i think so that's true. right now you have montreal's in the last spot also known as the team you communicated something like that you know i was also on last week i was in quebec for a bit and i'm thinking to myself if i actually lived in montreal i would totally be on board with this team like 100 percent again but i just need <laughs> a couple of trips to montreal and I'd go back there well you need some poutine and all of a sudden you're like i'm back in guys you're right pinky sucks i hate that guy <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I broke you. I knew it. Uh, it was only a matter of time. Magic routine. That's what does it. Yeah, that was it. You weren't ready for that one, were you? Uh, so I, I, I really hope, and Carolina is also on the bubble too. So Carolina, I yeah. hope, makes it. Okay. Really just for Any the particular bunch, reasons? The bunch of jerks. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You're right. Well, you know, we got to show some love to Tom Dundon. You know, he showed some love for, for the for the Alliance. Absolutely. Yeah. But I, but I think they will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they have some hard matchups remaining in terms of they have quality teams. Based on this projection, but, though, like if Carolina does in, like they're looking at facing Washington. And Washington is going to be tough. Yeah. Especially in the first round because they're going to want – they're not going to want to bounce out in the first round after winning the Stanley Cup last year. No, They're sure. definitely going to want to at least equate themselves well. Uh, and I, I think Ovechkin knows. He finally got over the hump. He got one. Um, but there's there's only so many years where that team is going to be in that position, and you're going to want to maximize that window, whatever it is. But here's what's going to – the telling thing is they actually have two games against Washington left. Sure, yeah. Right, on March 26th and March 28th. And I want Ovechkin to get his damn 50th goal. Two goals, man. Come on. So, well, I think that'll happen. So we'll see there. I don't know what's going to happen there. Obviously, we don't know because it's just pr- prediction. But I feel that mm-hmm. one – Interest me. The other matchup in the East that that I think whoever plays Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay is going to destroy them, which will probably be Montreal. It could be Columbus. Columbus is only one point behind Montreal, so it depends what happens there. But I think I think Tampa Bay is going to. I would be very surprised if they don't make it to the Stanley Cup final. Now, semi related to this question for you. Uh, there's two things in play with Tampa that is interesting to me. Like I, I, as we've gotten closer now, because now we're into uh, you know mid to late March, getting close to April. That's around the time that. My interest in hockey reaches its peak because we're getting close to the playoffs. Now it gets interesting to me. And I start paying a little closer attention as well. Tampa Bay is interesting to me because I think it's um, – because obviously they're going to have the scoring champion. And he's playing tremendous. Um, I want to say Kucherov, but all of a sudden I'm blanking. Is it um, – who is it? Well, anyway, I'll, I'll look it up here in a minute. But anyway, 120 points, 58 wins right now for Tampa Bay as we record right now. They've got a shot. At, is it Kucherov? Yeah. Beautiful. All right, Sweet. Carlos's uh, memory from fatigue for the win. But 58 wins, 120 points for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Both the wins record and the points record are both in play. But, you know, it's going to be a stretch. The wins record, I believe, is 62 wins for the uh, Detroit Red Wings, I believe, in the mid-90s. 
So they had 62 wins, which was the record for wins for a single team in the NHL in a single season. That's in play. They've got, I believe, seven games left. Yep. So with 58 wins, they need to go five and two in some variation. That's in play. That's doable. That's a, that's a breakable record. And then at the same time, 120 points, the record is 132 points. That one is more of a stretch. You basically have to go perfect or you got to win six and get the extra point on the last game yeah. in some combination. That one I think is probably safe. That record is, that's going to be, could you imagine that that was one of the mid mid seventies Montreal Canadiens teams, 132 points. Oh, that's crazy. That's disgusting. But it's still like, I mean, the fact that they have a chance to do it. Yeah. That's, Me, that's worth it means until it's, it's, they don't have the chance anymore. It's definitely worth watching. It's games. a tremendous season. The, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning down the stretch. But the real question is going to be also, do they want to go for that record? Because they're clinched. You know, the, the President's Trophy is, is locked up. Yep. They, they don't have to worry about that. They've got the number one seed in the East, and they've got the, the best record in the NHL. Yep. Nothing can change it. I don't, think the, I don't think the goal is going to be to, you know, they're not going to hurt their playoff chances to go for this record. But at the same time, it's they're historic records. They're, it's not like they come across every day, and it's not like you have, you have to have a magical season to even have a shot. For sure. At this point. So, you know, they basically got to win out, but... Well, we'll kind of see how that plays. And, and also, to, just to point out the fact that they're 11 points ahead yeah. of the next closest team. They've been dominant. They've It's been wire to wire, basically. So they've dominated this season. So Tampa Bay certainly is a favorite. Um, we talked a little bit about Carolina, and they're going to... The current potential matchup would be Washington. We've got a couple more things in these. How do you like the Islanders this year? They've been interesting. Yeah, I, I think they... I like them. Like, I like the chance. I like the two other matchups that are here currently, right? Mm-hmm. Boston against Toronto, I think, will be a great series. And I think uh, new, the New York Islanders and Pittsburgh If they do play, too. how many times are they going to replay the clip of, uh, of Boston beating Toronto in, in that comeback, in that late comeback? I think it was in the Game 7. I would say multiple times yeah. every day. It's like, whatever the over-under is, take the over. Anytime you have a matchup like that with recent history where one, one fan base is traumatized at the expense of the other one, they will play it. For sure. So yeah, that's what I'm thinking in the East. Anyway, I like. I think the basically it's just a question of Carolina, Montreal, Columbus. I really. I mean, Philadelphia. There's other teams that are still alive. Philadelphia being the closest, but only trailing Montreal by five points. They have eight games remaining as well. But I don't really see it being anyone other than Columbus, Montreal, or Carolina. Okay, that's fair. So that's that's my East. What I'm thinking right now. So you're saying the the Ottawa Senators are limited. The, 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 oh yeah. No, no, no dice. No, not so uh, much. Would you like the how much? Do you know how many points they're trailing by Carlos right now? Uh, twenty nine. Yes, twenty nine points. Yeah, good times. Sorry, Oaks. Anyway, um, yeah, I'll agree with that. The Islanders Pittsburgh series actually would be compelling to me. I think. I think. So. I think. I, think I well, would they're watch so that. close. In I would terms watch of that. The, their record and and the yeah. way they play. I don't right? think. The, I don't think the Islanders have the horses to hang with Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh is still is still. Um, Pittsburgh's dangerous. You know, Crosby and Malkin, it, it's still, da- you know, you still have to worry about them at all times. But if for whatever reason, now, uh, much like the NCAA tournament, the NHL tournament for the playoffs is always interesting because if one of these, uh, if one of these potential juggernauts or a team that's always dangerous like a Pittsburgh, if they do get bounced in the first round, and I think the Islanders beating them would be considered an upset. I would consider it an upset. If they were bounced in that first round, that would have huge implications on the rest of the Eastern Conference. Because it would leave everybody else like, wait a minute. Because it's a psychological effect. If a team like that goes down, everybody else goes, wait a minute. This just opened up. We've got a shot. There's one of the guys that we expected to be here at the end is no longer here. There's a spot open, potentially, for, for the rest of us. So that'll be interesting. I've got a few thoughts on the Western Conference. Is there anything you want to put in here? Why don't you start with the Western Conference and then I'll okay. add my two cents. There's a couple of things here that I like. 
Calgary blew me away. I didn't realize they were playing so well. It, uh, 99 points. Like, that's crazy. Good for them. The thing is, I, I think we're still in the same spot where I, I just don't know if any Canadian team is really in a position to make a deep run at this point. I'm not sure how Calgary has done it, to be honest with you. That's why I say, like, I've been kind of caught by surprise about it. I didn't realize they, their record was such. 46 wins at this point in the season is tremendous. Now, they're sk- slated to play Minnesota. Um, you know, I would expect them to take that series if that played out that way. And then obviously, we'll kind of see from there. San Jose taking on Vegas. I would love to see what Vegas can do as a follow-up to last season. Last season, things kind of came together perfectly for them. San Jose is always kind of there, but it's one of those things where, like, you just don't know. San Jose has disappointed so many times. I, Vegas beating them really wouldn't shock me or surprise me. Winnipeg and Dallas. That's interesting. I don't know if Dallas is going to stay in because they've been, they really haven't, you know, been blowing anybody away. Jimmy Ben isn't really playing that great. Uh, Tyler Sagan's good, but, you know, it's, it's been a bit of a struggle. But uh, the matchup would be interesting to me. I'd love to see what that looks like. I could totally see Winnipeg winning that series if, if that series came to pass exactly like that. And then you got Nashville and St. Louis, your boy, your boy that you're about to abandon for Putin. You know, this close, this, this close. They're about to sell you on it. But you got you got your boy PK Subban taking on the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, I don't like that matchup. It's not it's not a great matchup, no. I like and I and I don't mean necessarily in terms of players or teams. I don't like that matchup for Nashville. I know Nashville is the higher seed. The Blues have lead this season series four one and all, and they've played them well, right? Like they're close. Mm-hmm. All the games are all the games are close except for one. But I I just I don't like that matchup. I worry about that particular matchup. I'd much rather them see them play Dallas, for say. Yeah, I would say. Which is still possible. I mean, it is possible that Nashville could overtake uh, Winnipeg for the lead in that conference. It's possible, yeah. They're within two points of each other. It's always a shot. I think the in the hunt, though, in the West is interesting because you've got, uh, you've technically got six teams. But now what's funny, though, from the graphic, like I said, we'll, we'll include the link so you guys can all look at it as well. But what's interesting about it is that in the hunt, every single one of them is, is you're comparing them to Minnesota. Literally, Minnesota's the one in danger from all of these teams in the hunt. You know, yeah, Colorado is well, one point trailing Minnesota. Arizona trailing Minnesota by one point. Chicago trailing Minnesota by five. Well, that's because, I mean, Minnesota's got the last spot right now. And I think they haven't been playing, you know, obviously they haven't been playing out of this world. They only have seven games left, whereas some of the teams chasing them have eight. Chicago has nine games. So, you know, just by winning that game in hand, right, Colorado or Arizona jumps Minnesota. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, that's why I say the West. Uh, the West histor- back in the day, the West was always the more compelling conference for me because there were so many good teams that didn't make the playoffs in the West, and, and you look at them and go like, "This team was good," but they were playing in the West. Yeah, and it was hard, and and you and then and then you had to get through the Western playoffs, and in the West, they were these teams. I always think back fondly. So when I when I talk about the Western Conference, I'm thinking back to the mid to late 90s and the early 2000s because that was the that was the peak period for me in the west and that was where you had the the Dallas Stars at their best playing on the Detroit Red Wings who were at their best playing in Colorado and these three teams were basically bashing each other over the head every single year and basically some combination of those three teams would always be there right at the end and they would all represent for the western conference in the finals and it was just ridiculous it was obscene I don't think it's quite like that anymore. You've got a little more parity, I think. But I think there are some strong teams coming out of the Western Conference. And that's exciting. I think think that makes for some good matchups and some potentially good games. I think what's going to be interesting to see for me going forward, obviously this season is what it's going to be. And then in subsequent seasons, Edmonton has fallen off so much. And they're just playing, they're they're just not playing well. 
And I don't know what's supposed to change over in Edmonton. You know, with Connor McDavid and all that, um, it was supposed to have been better than this, and it just never got there. And I don't know if it ever will. Like, I'm not so sure about that. frustrating if you're an Edmonton fan. Yeah, because – but it was, it was very funny because – The amount of squandered opportunity. It's not like they haven't had talent. That's the thing with Edmonton is that you can't use the Canadian dollars as an excuse necessarily anymore because all the Canadian teams are under that restraint. Um, and, you know, the Winnipegs of the world are being competitive and uh, Calgary obviously is being competitive. So – and your, the historical rival Calgary is, you know, right at the top of that food chain out in the West. So – What's your excuse? Like, yeah. what are you doing yourselves? And just as, as something that people could use as an excuse, you have a new arena. You're playing in a new arena, right? So you have a state-of-the-art facility too. Yeah. And that's so always, you can't use that as an excuse or a distraction. Yeah. That's always been the thing with teams. It's like, oh, we need a new arena. It's like, well, fine. Here's a new arena. Oh, but we need another new arena. What's the point of building an arena if within 10 or 15 years you tell me you need another new arena? It's annoying. Like, it's stupid. And, and the problem is, listen, municipalities around the world, no matter what the sport is. Stop building them arenas. If you're a billionaire, build your own damn stadium, build your own damn arena, or finance it. If you wanted to build a building and you were operating a business, you would go to the bank and ask them for money. And they would say, why do you want money? I need to build a building. Why? Because I do business there. And then the bank would look at it and either give you the money or not. That's how business works. No, this whole leveraging the government, you know, we're going to move the team if you don't build us a new building. I hate it. But But at this point, with a lot of these leagues, like, honestly, I'd love a municipality to go, okay, look, we want to keep the team, but... Where are you going to move it? Where? Like, there's only so many places that have facilities capable of it, the population base capable of it, the money capable of it. And what if they refuse to give you money for an arena too? Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Build your own damn arena. Exactly. So anyway, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But, but um, one thing we can always look forward to is if any of these, you know, NHL teams eventually, you know, especially the ones uh, in the southern United States, if any more of them run into financial problems and they look for potential places, we can always dangle the Quebec City thing again. And then, you know, even what would be even better is if they, you know, they draw you back with the poutine would be if Quebec City gets a team and then they steal you. I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> the, the rivalry, previous rivalry between the, the Canadians and the Nordiques. I don't think I could do that. All right. Wake me up when the Montreal Maroons come back. I'll be in on that. All right. Sounds good. So that's covering kind of the, the NHL, you know, playoffs. Uh, right now, obviously, we've got to solidify these matchups a little bit more. Once, uh, once we get into the final ones, then we can start actually making some real predictions. Maybe we'll do. All right, here's my thought. When we actually have the real playoff standings and we know exactly what the matchup is going to be, NCAA style, let's do the brackets. We'll do. We'll, we'll do all the we'll do the predictions all the way to the Stanley Cup final. Sounds like a plan. And then you can tell us all how we're idiots, but keep in mind that right in the preamble of the show, we've I, already I acknowledge I, we acknowledge our idiocy, so just be aware of that. But that should be good. Now let's talk about uh, what we're looking forward to this week. All right, I got two things on my list for what you. What do you got? So one, which I'm not really looking forward to, in the sense of that I don't really feel it means very much. But it is a soccer thing. So Canada is playing an international game. Uh, not a friendly. It's part of the CONCACAF Nations League, which is kind of a dumb idea anyway. But they're playing French Guyana in BC on Sunday. As opposed to German 6 Guyana? 6 p.m. Eastern time. What other options but, are there? Just regular Guyana. I, okay, fine. Sure. But get this. This is the part that I feel you're going to love the most. Go on. Okay. So you know how there's a governing body for soccer, right? FIFA? We, 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 this. we, we established secret cabals. Go okay. on. You're aware that each region in the world, like North America, South America, they have their own governing body of soccer. Sure. Yeah. Right? So in this case, CONCACAF. French Guyana is not recognized by FIFA as a real country. Damn them. So that's who Canada's playing on Sunday. I, and I expect them to win quite handily. Canada, that is. Which is 
saying something in soccer. The other thing I will say that I am looking forward to uh, is the opening of the MLB season. Of course. Absolutely. I'm not going to name any particular game, because, but I am going to just say, generally speaking, I'm, op- I'm looking forward to that. And I, my attention will continue to be on the NCAA tournament. So tomorrow, Sunday, uh, Duke has Central Florida. Which so that's a one versus a nine, in case you're wondering, and also tomorrow, Buffalo is playing Texas Tech. Uh, Buffalo being a six, Texas Tech being a three. So I'll leave those games out there. And another one which uh, should be good is as a second round game. You have a twelve. You actually have a twelve seed playing a thirteen seed, which is Oregon, which is a team I said look out for again. Not because I think they're going to win it all, but because I think they're going to make some noise, and if, especially if they do that again. So that's what I've got for you for this week, Carlos. All right, sounds fair. So mine is a little more straightforward. Uh, no UFC card that I'm aware of. I'll double check, but I don't think anything that struck out, nothing that stood out to me. Um, Alliance games, of course. I'm going to watch those. I'm going to then have the my thoughts uh, post that either on the Monday or the Tuesday. I'll put that on the YouTube channel, which we'll do shameless plugs in a moment. I am also going to focus my attention a little bit more on now that we're getting closer. Like I said, as I alluded to during the during the hockey playoff portion of our discussion here, I'm going to start paying a little bit more attention now to these teams because I've been watching a couple of games here and there. But I want to start kind of uh, honing down a little bit more so that when I try to make my predictions for the playoffs, I want to kind of see these teams play, especially down the stretch. So you know we've got some games. You know Montreal's taking on Carolina on Sunday. That's a we've big got one. that going on. So that's a good one. And then we've got Columbus, who's fighting for that playoff spot, you know, taking on Vancouver in the primetime game. The good part is, you know, in Canada, you don't need any special channels or anything. There's a lot of hockey games on. If you have any of the major sports networks, you can get your share of hockey, the local teams, and some of the and some of the teams throughout the country. So that won't be too much of an issue. I may squeeze in a little bit of um, spring training baseball, but it's going to be a couple of innings here and there because, like I said, spring training, I don't care about that that, that much. Winning the spring training crown isn't really going to impress anybody. I will. I would like to see – I'm waiting for the real games, and that's what's going to be this week, what Dave alluded to, and that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited about opening day, real opening day in Major League Baseball. I may have a work-from-home day that day. I don't know. That's always possible. These Still tickets happen. available to the Blue Jays home opener? <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I struggle with that. I, I don't know if I even want to go watch the home. The home openers used to be really good. Uh, so as far as things I'm looking forward to, that covers. But let me let me talk about the home opener for a second because now you've opened up a can of worms. I want to. The home opener. I'm sucked sorry. Now. The home opener sucks now. Like it really does. It's they've turned it into this thing where like the home opener was an organic thing where it was exciting because it was the home opener. Now they're like, oh guys, we go opening weekend. Shut up. You're overpriced tickets. You're garbage team. Be quiet. Screw you. Like, I didn't have any trouble getting tickets to the home opener for the longest time, and then they tried to make it into a thing. There's no usher. That's all I'm saying. None. No light, laser light shows. None of it. Uh, at least we know what sets you off now. 2007 NFC Championship game and home openers. Well, uh, in fairness, the 2007 was not as bad as the one against Seattle. The one against Seattle, that that's trigger fodder right there. That's major trigger fodder. That's just... Yeah. And liquor markup tax. That's all I'm saying. But the uh, but yeah, the, the home openers become. A, I'm gonna watch it on television because because my sanity will will not sustain. I can't stand the congratulating ourselves for managing to make it to another season where we'll probably be mediocre. I will watch once we get into the real games. I'll I'll do what all good sports fans should do when their team is mediocre to kind of sucks. I will wait until the tickets go onto StubHub and other sites, and I will buy them for pennies on the dollar. Thank you very much. Appreciate you. All right, good stuff. So that concludes this episode. Before we go, we will shamelessly plug things. As far as is concerned, if you're listening to it right now, obviously, we're available on Spotify, 
Apple Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. We should be on more or less all of those. We, of course, have an Instagram at Unnecessary Podcast. I try to make sure to, mostly I mostly on that Instagram, I'm going to try to do a little more with it, but mostly I, I include links to, obviously, our latest podcast, but also any any links to Unnecessary Pod Extras where I talk about if there's some breaking topic we'll talk about, or I'll do the, uh, the weekly review of the Alliance games a little bit more in depth than what we get into in the podcast itself. On Twitter, we've got at, at Unnecessary underscore pod, and our site is unnecessarypod.podbean.com. And of course, you can find us on YouTube if you search for Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. Just like that, and you can find any videos and other if you want to see a static picture and then hear us talk on the same podcast you're listening to. Because why not? Static picture for the win. Yeah, at some point, at some point we'll incorporate video, but right now it would be a video of, uh, of two idiots sitting around a, a really small table and with a laptop on. Yeah, we need to get the studio for that first. Well, I'll get I'll get some I'll get some tremendous lighting and we'll just put like a green screen and then I can put random. But things if you're looking for like a little foray into the hashtag multi screen life, why not put on the podcast, listen to that on YouTube so that you got a screen on and then watch some sporting event with the sound off. Listen, that's uh, that's right there is the philosophy of multi screen life in a nutshell. But as always, we thank you for listening and watching the static image if that's what you're doing. Appreciate you, and we will see you next time.